Hello, I'm Kyle Caldwell, and this is On The Money, a weekly look at how to get the best out of your savings and investments. In this episode, I'm joined by Ben Lofthouse, who is full manager of the Henderson International Income Trust, which has the ticker code HINT. Ben is going to be making the investment case for the resurgence of the dinosaurs. So these are the big corporates that have previously been given the loser's tag, but are now primed for a return to prominence. So Ben, what exactly is a dinosaur stock and why have these companies been so out of favour? I think when I look at dinosaurs, firstly, the companies in question will probably not like me calling them dinosaurs, but how I would categorise them are, you know, these are large companies. They've often been around you know, quite a long time and you know, in that context, you know, I'd say 20 years or so. Uh, they are often quite diverse. You know, they've got um, a lot of maybe different operations or quite global. Um, and for a period of time, although they're very cash generative and they make, in many cases, good returns, you know, good um, people are assuming that those returns will diminish because new competition will come and suddenly kind of eat up all their profits. So I think that's, you know, that's my category of these, these dinosaurs, large, uh, well-capitalized, but um, people seeing them as slightly boring. Are there any particular sectors that they fall into? Do you know they're, they're everywhere? You know, they're everywhere, um, and I think you know if you go to using the dinosaur, you know, analogy, you know, there 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 are lots of animals that are around with the dinosaurs that are still with us. You know, there are there are famously sharks and crocodiles and lizards, and they they managed to evolve, um, and many cases they changed. And I think um, in all sectors there are companies that you know were the lead of things in the past and maybe um, have missed the technology cycle or uh, and those ones you know are the ones that are, are struggling the most and so you know if you take something like um, the media sector you know topical for, for yourselves as, as journalists and stuff you know free-to-air television still very popular we all use it high you know a lot of people tuned in to see the coronation profitable but we all know there's a lot more competition. It's much easier to be competitive there than it was in the past. Uh, when we look at things like telecommunications, we're all using it. You go on the train, um, everyone's on their phones, but the winners and losers in the telecommunications sector really vary. And so you know, all sectors have them. And why was it that you know, a number of these dinosaur stocks, so well-established businesses, why have they been out of favour? Has it been down to the prevailing macroeconomic backdrop? You know, prior to 18 months ago, we had, you know, record low interest rates and very low interest rates for a long period of time. Did that help these disruptive growth companies um, try and take market share away from these older companies? Yeah, I think there are a number of things there, actually. Uh, the very low prevailing interest rate since probably 2007-8 has definitely helped because it's pushed down the cost of capital. So, you know, and what, what does that mean? Well, actually, you know, it's hard to make returns. And so people are taking more risk and more money has gone into areas like venture capital. Companies have been given longer to make a profit. You know, so actually previously, you know, you might look for companies to get profitable quite quickly. There are still some very, very large companies that are listed. You know, things like Twitter recently, famously, that have been around for a long time, very successful, but, but they're not making much of a profit. So I think there's been a tolerance of that. I think there's also been a really big fall in the barriers to accessing technology. And I think people underestimate the importance of that. You know, it used to be smaller businesses would have to think about having servers and, a, you know, a, 
an IT service and an HR service. And, you know, you'd have to build up as you scaled. And actually what we saw was this precipitous fall in the um, cost of storage, uh, the availability of cloud, the cloud data, and it allowed businesses actually to access large amounts of compute power um, before they were really big and cash flow generative. It didn't cost them as much as it would have done in the past. And then the thirdly, and maybe this is where I think the biggest change is, is companies were pretty kind of complacent. You know, there was a there was a view that well, we'll win in the end, and we'll you know we'll adopt the technology, and we'll because um, that's the way often big corporates work. You know, they're often not at the leading edge of technology or innovation in a sector, but they kind of catch up later. And that's taken you know longer for them than I think they thought, and it's forced them to have to change. So that the best ones are taking some pretty radical change to kind of get out the other side. So in the investment trust that you manage, of these well-established businesses, which as you mentioned, you're defining as, you know, they've been around for 20 years or more, are there any particular sectors that you're favoring? And are, are there any other sectors that you're not favoring that are, um, you know, that are dinosaur stocks that one day may become extinct? Yeah, good question. Um, the, the three biggest sectors that we have exposure to are um, healthcare, uh, financials, consumer staples at the moment, and the fourth one is information technology. And um, I mentioned that one because it was much bigger about seven or eight months ago. We've reduced that on valuations, but I would put it in that camp of uh, sectors that are, that are going to be interesting longer term. I think that they're, they're all interesting because they're, in many cases, generating a lot of cash. They are able to put through pricing. So in many cases, there's some sort of intellectual property or patents. And in this environment at the moment, one of the things that companies are suffering with is an ability to put through pricing and costs are going up. And so they, they all benefit from those areas. And I think they also are all benefiting from technology. You know, if we if we take an area like healthcare, um, you know, there have been some big breakthroughs in kind of analyzing genetics, um, testing, and we're seeing some of those coming through. So we're seeing some really quite radical treatments to cancer coming through. That, you know, they're big drugs. So a lot of these companies made money in the past by selling a small pills that they had a patent on. And then there was a gap when those pills went off patent. And now we're seeing them actually starting to build up. It's taken them a few years, but we're seeing them starting to kind of see the fruits of years of, of investment. And, and then in technology, in information technology, we've realized actually making the stuff we use is harder than we thought. You know, semiconductors are hard to make and uh, very expensive to make. So sectors like that, I think you know, you're seeing companies like Samsung, Taiwan Semiconductor. You know, if I take the ultimate dinosaur for hint for the investment trust that we first invested in, it was Microsoft. People don't think of it as a dinosaur now, but they bought Nokia, the mobile phone company. Everyone hated the management team at the time, but they just had lots of profitability from the office and then the cloud. They were investing heavily in the cloud and they've emerged as a leader in the cloud. So those are the kind of companies we're looking for, companies that are you know, profitable historically, where they've been investing and they just might reignite for the next generation. The, the ones that I worry about, which are, are currently um, are real estate, utilities. So I think what we've seen in utilities is that there should be a lot of investment we need a lot of investment in decarbonizing, but governments struggle to allow utilities to make money. 
And so in the last few years, we've seen companies that should be doing really well being hit by sentiment because governments just can't help but interfere. And then the other area is real estate where, you know, they have benefited from very low rates from the last decade. You know, I'm, I'm not, I think you have to be very careful in that sector. You know, some some trends we saw in the last cycle, like uh, shopping malls, that disappeared, never came back. You know, we've never seen a recovery there. It just might be that we get something similar in something like office. So that may be an area we're a bit cautious on at the moment. And what's your views on tobacco stocks? I mean, that's a sector that has been around for a long time. It has price and power. Obviously, you know, some investors wouldn't invest there on sustainability grounds. Um, is that a potential declining industry over the next couple of decades? Yeah, we don't own any tobacco in, in the fund at the moment. I, I think you know it is declining by volumes. You know, they're having to put pretty big price increases through to their consumers to be able to maintain profits. They are able to do that, and so I'm not worried about the companies per se. But I think the you know the the promise of using that cash to pivot. To a new growing area, um, you know, many people hoped it would be vaping, uh, and I think it's just it's proving harder to establish the same kind of oligopoly type situation in vaping as it was in in, in tobacco. So I, I think that's maybe we're struggling. It's, they seem fine, the cash flow is very strong, um, but there is a headwind against them in terms of the existing customer base is declining, and and I. We found it hard to really say whether they'll make the same profitability in the new areas. And have you found with you know some of your holdings um, that you know that may fall into the value stock category that they're benefiting from you know interest rates have gone up and there's been a market rotation towards investors increasingly focusing on looking at companies that are making money today and they're not prioritising growth companies that are you know trying to make profits way out into the future. Yeah, I think there's there's been a transition point. Um, from a market in terms of just interest rates have gone up more than people thought, um, and that's caused you know you know the expensive areas of the market to derate. I think we've seen kind of people rotating away and back towards you know value areas, and income stocks are quite often in that kind of category. So that's been beneficial. I don't think we've seen you know a a full reflection of. Um, the valuation shift that that could still come. I think not just interest rates. It's not just interest rates that are important. I think the fact that costs have gone up. You know, when you look at the likes of Boohoo and uh, ASOS, you know, shipping lots of things for free returns, you know, was quite easy when freight costs were low. But now energy oil prices have gone up. You know, unemployment is very low. I think we're ju- we're just seeing that actually a lot of these business models that were based on things. You know, being cheap, and there being lots of capacity, are are struggling a bit, and so I think the the you know these higher cost levels that people are seeing is also benefiting the the larger kind of companies because they get bigger buyer buying power, and they've got more cash. So in terms of um, younger companies, so um, you know you mentioned earlier that you know these dinosaur stocks typically they're twenty years plus by how you've defined them. Are you wary of investing in younger businesses that are aiming for high growth in the future? And as particularly given the current environment, which you know interest rates rising sharply over the past 18 months? I think there's always going to be a place for, for new businesses. You know, we're still seeing a lot of business formation. Um, you know, many of those things like the access to technology and ideas, uh, you know, are still the case. So 
you know, I think there'll still be lots of new companies coming through. And the our view is, you know, this portfolio is is meant to give people a diversification, and so, and, and part of what we give is the dividend flow, so the cash generation of the companies that we're investing in, they're able to pay a dividend and invest, and they've got access to debt markets. I think it's these younger stage companies are not going to be dividend payers. You know, it's not, and you wouldn't want them to. They're in the investment phase. Um, so I think, you know, I, I don't think it's an either or. I think for us, what we're more looking for are still the fallen angels. So, you know, the, the companies that three or four years ago people loved that are already established where people have gone off them temporarily and, and they could be quite interesting long term. You mentioned a couple of the sectors earlier. So do you mind going into a couple of stock examples of fallen angels? Yeah. Um, I mean, if, if I look at, you know, one of the, the sectors, um, you know, something like insurance, one of our biggest names is AXA. You know, many people will use AXA products. They use healthcare, uh, they use insurance, um, they'll look for investments. You know, there's a brand there, you know, that is underappreciated, you know, if, if Lofthaus and Co rocked up to give you life insurance. You know, you, you might not, you probably would, it wouldn't be price you'd go on. You'd go on the fact that they, I'd be there when you needed me. And they're, they're recovering slightly because they made a, an investment in another part of insurance four or five years ago. And that's proved hard to, to integrate into the business, but we're starting to see the fruits of that. So you've ended up with a more diversified business that's uh, seeing pricing increasing in the insurance industry uh, and you've also seen the insurance industry would be one where three or four years ago everyone was telling me something like lemonade which is a, an insurance kind of startup was going to take all the share and, and actually it's a bit like you know buy now and pay later you know these, these things came along they were good ideas but actually that technology has been incorporated into many of these big companies uh, you know other companies that i think are interesting in the portfolio we have a couple of uh, auto stocks you know, so three or four years ago, there was an assumption Tesla would win, just full stop. And actually now, if you look at Mercedes-Benz, uh, if you look at Stellantis, which we own, which has got uh, Jeep, um, Chrysler, Fiat, um, you, you look at them, they're producing good electric cars. You know, they're, they're, they, there is no, there's not going to be an oligopoly on electric cars. And actually, they, they've got cash balance sheets, um, they've got distribution networks, you know, they're, they're well positioned, but they're still trading on very, very low valuations. So I think that these are kind of companies where we just think they're going to persist for longer than people think. That's even before we start talking about Asia and some of the things going on there. You just mentioned Asia. See, the trust has a global approach. So do you invest in the um, emerging world as well as the developed world? Yeah, we do. We do. I think um, we have about a quarter of the portfolio at the moment in Asia Pacific. You know what? What's interesting there is, you know, they have invested heavily in technology and innovation for a long time. So you've ended up, you know, with in Japan companies like Sony being at the forefront of you know gaming and sensors, you know, uh, optical sensors, both important areas for and also for in film. Um, so again, you know, they're quite well exposed to some of the trends that we're all doing in terms of our own consumption. You get companies like Samsung and Taiwan Semiconductor that really are the leaders in their fields in in memory and uh, chip, semiconductor chips. The West has outsourced its manufacturing to um, 
Asia, thinking that it was a commodity side of things. And it's turned out to be quite hard to do and it's hard to replicate. And it's going to take us a long time to bring it back. So actually, that's beneficial both for the economies there. And it's also just beneficial for lots of the ancillary businesses that go around that. Um, and then on, on a cycle terms, you know, they had quite a tough time during COVID. China stayed shut down for longer. So I think there's also an element of fallen angel there where, you know, people assumed China wouldn't come out of COVID that quickly. Property bubble has burst. It's been bursting for a few years. And, but actually, you know, underlying, there are still lots of businesses there that are not related to property and lots of businesses that will benefit from opening up again. And it's a big influence on the region, you know, so travel in the region is picking up. So I think you've got this, you know, two-way long-term, short-term impact there where short-term the valuations and the earnings have been depressed, but actually long-term the, comp- the region is very well invested with with good good demographics as well, you know, young populations, well-educated. So, you know, that's an interesting area for us. And, you know, there are lots of, again, perceived dinosaurs there because they're perceived to be dinosaurs because we thought what they did was commodity. And it's turned out it's quite hard. That's interesting to hear because, you know, I think the majority of other global funds and investment trusts, they tend to mainly stick to the developed markets. Um, You know, I don't often see a lot of exposure to the Asia-Pacific or the emerging markets. Wanted to um, go back to your technology exposure. You mentioned uh, Microsoft earlier. What else do you hold in that sector? And does each tech firm need to pay a dividend for you to hold it? We, we tend to favour companies that are paying some form of dividend. Mainly, one reason for that is it helps, you know, spread the dividend generation across the portfolio, so we don't become too reliant on any one area. Um, but also, it's a it's a suggestion that they you know, are very cash generative and that they've, you know, gone past the point where, you know, they need more investment and they're generating cash. Companies that we own at the moment are mainly orientated um, around, I think it's the infrastructure. And so we own um, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing, which makes semiconductor chips. You know, really, when you look at companies like Apple, uh, NVIDIA, you know, these companies that people are getting excited about with regard to AI, Many of them don't make their own chips. They design them and then they outsource it mainly to people like Taiwan Semiconductor. And so that's an interesting way for us of of playing that cycle and um, the increased number of companies that are designing their own chips. So I think that's what's interesting. Previously, you you might have AMD or Intel doing the the chips. Um, Now, many of these companies like Google and Amazon as well for their data centers they're designing their own ones because actually they need them to do very specific jobs, but they're outsourcing the production of them in many cases to uh, to these companies and, and companies like them and Samsung, which we own. You know, they they are the ones that places like Japan and the US and even the UK are, and Europe are trying to entice them to build more of those uh, semiconductor manufacturing and memory manufacturing in their own countries. So one of the byproducts of this kind of proxy war with China and the US and uh, COVID is people are, are looking to to build this these facilities closer. But when you look at who they're getting to build them, it's the same people. It's these you know so, so-called kind of dinosaurs because it's really hard. It's really hard. There's a lot of intellectual property in there. So that's where our, our exposure at the moment is focused. And finally, advancements in artificial intelligence that threatens to challenge the status quo. 
Are there any sectors or industries that you're keeping an eye on that you think could be disrupted, either for better or for worse? Yeah, I think one sector we, we find hard, to be honest with you, is the media sector. You know, it, it's a sector where you know, there's a lot of change. We, we're still using a lot of the old media, but we're still also consume, seeing margin, you know, the, the trend is to consume in other ways. So as soon as, you know, somebody gets used to Facebook being the predominant one, it becomes Instagram, then it becomes TikTok. Um, I think, so that's that, that the media sector is, is one that I think has been difficult and that artificial intelligence from what we've seen so far make, will make more difficult, difficult because, you know, the content creation that it's able to do and how quickly it can do it is, you know, it's just starting to be touched on. And it will need, in some cases, a lot of investment by companies to catch up there. I think in terms of other sectors that where it might be proved problematic, where you don't have strong data sets. So people are talking about the likes of Expedia, um, you know, TripAdvisor, these things where perhaps something, there's not a lot of value added, but there's an aggregation of lots of data from different places. You know, and you ask it a question and it gives you this, this list of answers. I think people are, are thinking those areas where things could be disrupted. It may benefit, you know, one of the biggest companies um, involved in AI is Microsoft. So, you know, they've got a partnership and they invested early with ChatGPT. They have, at the moment, Google has over 90% of search. It's an astounding figure. They've managed to keep it for 20 years. Uh, they were able to buy up everyone else along the way. Uh, Bing, Microsoft's offering has about 3%. You know, if, if we saw AI helping Microsoft gain share, yeah, that'd be quite significant probably for Microsoft. And, and then the other areas that I think within the portfolio, you know, it does use a lot of memory. So I think at the moment there's a, there is an oversupply of memory. Um, people like Samsung make a lot of memory as mic Micron, which we don't own in the US. But memory is quite a uh, consolidated market. So, you know, I think if, if we really see AI taking off for many of us, it uses a lot of computing power and memory. And so these are areas that I think might well benefit. My thanks to Ben. And thank you for listening to this episode of On The Money. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating or a review and follow the show in your podcast app. And if you get a chance, please do tell a friend about it too. You can join the conversation, ask questions and tell us what you would like us to talk about via email on otm at ii.co.uk. And in the meantime, you can find more information and practical pointers on how to get the most out of your investments on the Interactive Investor website which is ii.co.uk. See you next week.